Doc Talk is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. By integrating the comprehensive animal health product portfolio of Merck Animal Health with the innovative technologies of all flex livestock intelligence, we are shaping the future of animal health, resulting in more effective solutions and healthier animals. Hey folks, welcome to Doc Talk. Glad you joined us. Dr. Drew Magstadt's going to be our guest today, and we're going to talk about something we do all the time in veterinary medicine and with your samples from from animals that perish or even animals that are live doing surveillance. We're going to talk about diagnostics in the beef herd. Thanks for watching Doc Talk. We'll be right back. Hey folks, welcome to Doc Talk. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson, and we have a very special guest, Dr. Drew Magstadt, who is a clinical associate professor here, and he is a veterinary pathologist at the Veterinary Diagnostic Lab at Iowa State's University's College of Veterinary Medicine, where we're both alumni uh, of this of this CVM. Dr. Magstadt is my go-to person on beef cattle diagnostics as a pathologist, and he handles my cases. And um, so I'm like, man, we need to get him on the show. And and uh, uh, if you're looking for a great bovine pathologist or a great pathologist in general, uh, we're lucky to have him. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about diagnostics. Yeah. So. Let's let's just start out with because the one thing is you know I can as a being a third generation veterinarian I was pretty good at just holding the sleeve in the middle of the summer while Dad was doing a necropsy and sure. he would chunk something in it and I'd tie a knot off and he'd chunk something else in it and I'd <laughs> sure. tie a knot off sure. and send it in but maybe we've advanced uh, beyond that a little. Sure, a lot of it is still very similar to that. Okay. Um, as long as the as long as the right chunks and pieces of the right tissues get in the bag, we have a good shot at getting a diagnosis. Um, the, the The key is the, the the right chunks of tissue getting in there, <laughs> and uh, and and the right samples uh, for the for the question that's being asked by the producer. We have the veterinarian, or or we train people to do do necropsies. Um, we're going to get the the tissues that are recommended based on the clinical signs prior to death. Uh, what are some of the pitfalls beyond getting the wrong samples? Sure. Probably the biggest thing we see on the bovine side is that is autolysis. And when I say autolysis, it just means that animal's been dead too long to really be of, of diagnostic value or, or as as diagnostically value as it could have been um, had it had we gotten samples out early um, from a histopath perspective when we look at look at slides and look at tissues under the microscope that tissue breakdown really really hinders our ability to have a confident diagnosis in a lot of cases um, enteric cases cases of calf diarrhea are, are a big one uh, a lot of times we'll, we'll treat that calf and maybe it, it dies and it doesn't get necropsied very quickly intestine tends to break down very quickly based sure. on the enzymes and the everything that's going on in that intestine by itself. Um, other tissues aren't aren't quite so bad, but um, it kind of depends on the environment as well. Uh, I remember necropsying some cattle out in the summer that have been dead several days, and um, you end up necropsying more maggots than than, than cow. <laughs> yeah. um, in those situations, it's very very difficult to come to a diagnosis as to why that animal was sick or why that animal died. Big thing would be for for producers to contact your veterinarian quickly. Uh, in in situations where some diagnostic testing might be um, might be a, a an option, uh, provide a good history, uh, a good history of what, what you're seeing um, to your veterinarian, a good description of the clinical signs, what, what ages of animal are affected, how many are affected. Things like that are very helpful from a diagnostic perspective on, on selecting which tests to run, with, and then when we know that, we, we are able to select which samples uh, would be best for that test. 
And so, and, and, and other th things on just like mailers and different things to that, when they mail samples in, uh, keeping them cool, uh, going ahead and fixing the tissues before you ship is probably preferred. Yeah. I don't know. Yes, absolutely. If, 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 uh, if a microscopic examination of the tissues is, is needed, um, we, we place those tissues into a fixative uh, called formalin. Um, it kind of stops the degradation process of those tissues and, and, and allows those tissues to uh, be more valuable to us. Um, when you say cool, sometimes in certain certain weather, yes, we want to cool. Um, yeah, throughout the winter um, in the upper Midwest, we get a lot of frozen samples and, oh, yeah. and freezing can have a an impact on the tissue quality as well. So yeah, we want we want to package them correctly to keep them, keep them chilled, keep them fixed, but not frozen. Well, we're gonna take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about what happens when your samples hit the D-Lab floor uh, here at Iowa State University. We've got Dr. Drew Magstad here with us today. We'll see you right after this commercial. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. We're here with Dr. Drew Magstad and we're at Iowa State University where Dr. Magstad is a veterinary pathologist here in the veterinary diagnostic lab at Iowa State University's College of Veterinary Medicine. He's uh, one of the very best, and it's awesome to have him here on the show. So, Dr. Drew, when the samples get here, and I remember being on the D-Lab floor just for my weeks, <laughs> I had to do that during a senior year, but the amount of boxes and and cases is is, is a bunch here. We're a very busy lab. We, we see everything, but the vast majority of what we do here is, is would be swine and, and bovine cases, yep. Yep. So when you, when you get a case and, and the paperwork comes in, you mentioned that you were looking at some of the, you know, which animals were affected, what age are they, what kind of system are they in, what were the clinical signs. Um, from that, we sometimes have a discussion with the veterinarian or, or that's submitting these samples to kind of get a more detailed history or a better understanding of what's going on and what they want to test for? Yep, yes, absolutely. Um, our veterinarians generally provide a history on the submission form, and if they don't, um, we, we often spend a lot of time on the phone talking to them, uh, consulting about the case, uh, asking them follow-up questions that might be helpful for us. Um, otherwise, if, if it's not provided there, we try to get as much information from the samples as we can. So if you send in a, a, a nice representative sample of a, of a lung with respiratory disease, we, we take a look at it, we, we slice into it and do, a, do some dissection to see if we can glean any information from that that might help us uh, select which test might be best or most valuable for that case. So that would just be on your gross observation of yeah. the tissue to begin with. And so from there, once you have the, the gross observation, what are some of the different things that drive you towards different types of tests? Sure. Um, in addition to the gross, what we see grossly, um, a, a lot of our test selection is driven by the diagnostic question. Why, why is this tissue here? What are they trying to learn from this? Um, not all cases come with tissue. Sometimes we just, a lot of times we just get serum samples and they're wondering, um, is this animal persistently infected with BVD and we're able to select the best test for the sample that we have. Same thing with a propitial scraping for trick, a trick PCR. We can, the question um, is, is this animal have trick? And, right. and we can we can use that question to drive pick the best sample and the best test. When we have tissues in front of us um, and, and, a, and a good clinical history, we, we're, we're looking for tests that might be useful um, from from a diagnosis standpoint and also useful from a producer standpoint. There, there are times when negative tests are very useful in a, in a situation with respiratory disease. Knowing that an animal doesn't have BVD or a group of cattle doesn't have BVD is pretty useful to the producer. So we yeah. may run tests that might 
might not get us towards the, the diagnosis of this individual animal, but might have some utility and value to the case. So one of the things I want viewers to understand is that, you know, working with your veterinarian is important. Having a great history is important because when it gets to, to Dr. Drew, he's going to make decisions here to help get the answer. And you're trying to do it on a, on with some economics involved on on the diagnostics as well right absolutely the more information you know the the more precise or more strategic you can be in your testing absolutely the more precise that diagnostic question is is would be the better that would be better for us from a value standpoint when it comes to testing um, the diagnostic question certainly may be why did this animal die but that's that's a wide range of, of testing and a wide range of options, right? If you, if you if your producer has a very specific diagnostic question, a lot of times we can we can, if we have the right sample, we can answer that with one test. Um, so it, it it all it all depends on really what what the producer and their veterinarian is looking to get out of the case. Perfect. Hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more with Dr. Drew Magstat on diagnostics, tests, and when you can expect to get your results. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson. I'm here with Dr. Drew Magstad. We're at Iowa State University where Dr. Drew serves as a clinical associate professor in the College of Veterinary Medicine. He is also a veterinary pathologist that sees so many bovine cases, swine cases, food animal cases here at Iowa State's veterinary diagnostic lab. So you have a lot of different types of tests now and, and, and they continue to become more technologically advanced and faster and and things to that nature, but we still have kind of a core group of, of types. And, sure. and the one thing it was always like, okay, so back in the day, we basically had culture and sensitivity. So we'd send in the lung and a week later, you know, we'd get results on, to, on sensitivity of antibiotics to different pathogens. And now it, there's a lot of different things that we can used to test, right? Yes, absolutely. We've, they've come a long way with the technology and, and that goes back to being, you know, needing to provide useful results. Um, we can get you a diagnosis, but if it takes us two months to do that, it's not really useful in the, in the time frame of clinical disease. Yeah. So yeah, um, even on the, on the bacteriology side, um, you, it takes a few days. Bacteria only grow so fast. Um, that, that's kind of a limiting factor. Right, we right. can't really do much about that. But one of the things that's been developed is a, is a technique where we can take a, a, a colony of bacteria for lack of a better term, they, they put it into a machine that hits it with a laser, and that, that can actually identify the bacteria that way. Um, how that signature of that bacteria kind of flies off the plate. Um, it, it can save us a couple days on, a, on a confirming the identification of a specific bacteria. Other tests that we use commonly are, are called PCR tests. They're, they're generally to detect viruses or bacteria, and we're, we're actually looking for the the DNA or RNA of those agents, um, those are those are very fast. They're running about running hours, and and at a lot of places, the the only limiting factor is how often the, kind of the testing volume and how often those tests are are wanted to be run. Um, we run a lot of things here every day. We uh, Yoni's testing, trick testing, and our and our respiratory and enteric PCRs are run every day here. So we're able to we're able to get some some useful information generally on the first day after we some as long as the, the case gets to us by noon we're able to get some information yeah and it's it's important like on that respiratory pcr panel you're looking at all the major viruses that that we see in the in the brd complex yeah. and the bacteria and mycoplasma and and so getting that soon when you see all of a sudden you see an ibr or a 
BBD, um, you know, can start getting your brain right on how you're wanting to approach the case. Absolutely. Um, it, it can at least give that information. Getting that information after 12 hours is, is certainly a lot more useful than waiting a week uh, and, and getting it getting it when maybe um, more animals are affected um, uh, and maybe at a point when you can't do a whole heck of a lot about it. Yep. And then then we still have a, a serology yep, that's absolutely. run and uh, Generally speaking, we're looking for antibodies, right? Yep, absolutely. So, so a serum sample uh, can be used uh, for PCR detection, but a lot of times we're, we're using those for antibodies. And that is, detection of antibodies is more um, for, has this animal ever seen this disease in the past? An antibody um, is, is generated after an infection. Um, so yeah, has this animal ever been infected with this disease? That's what we're looking for there. Okay, and so just kind of in a, in, in a general form, if you're talking, a day, days, or a week, how long does it take to get your PCR culture and sensitivity or serology back? So in a, in a, in a standard respiratory case, um, our, our PCR results would be, would be done that night. Um, we would have our histopath looked at, so that our, our yeah. microscopic slides would be looked at. We, here we try to get those turned around within about 48 hours after submission, um, probably so, and then two days probably after submission is you're probably getting some confirmation on bacterial isolates. So within, within two to three days, we can have a, have a pretty well-rounded, almost completed case. And what's really good too about Iowa State's D-Lab is that as things are done, you don't wait until everything's done to get the report. As the different components are done, I'm getting an email on what the results are. Correct. As, as a lot of our time is spent coordinating these cases, and if there is a... It's, Strategically important um, result. We will we will email those out. Um, we have we have a web um, submission and a client portal, so you can access the cases in real time. If a test got updated 15 seconds ago, right right before you look, um, you will see the updated case on the online. Perfect, folks. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about putting it all together and what you do with the results. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson here with Dr. Drew Magstat. And Dr. Magstat is a veterinary pathologist here at Iowa State's Veterinary Diagnostic Lab. He's also a, an associate clinical professor, uh, does some teaching, does some extension, does things with producers, students, uh, food animal, great colleague. Um, and so fun to have you on the show. Glad to be here. So let's talk about now we get we get what you would consider a diagnosis. What What's your next steps? Um, so a, a lot of times our diagnosis, our case report goes out with the diagnosis. And if there are no questions, if we're confident in that diagnosis, there really isn't a whole lot more to do. If we, we spend a lot more of our time on the on the cases that, that we're not as confident in the diagnosis. Maybe sure. we didn't get something that fits fits with what was happening clinically. Maybe we got an unexpected result and we spend a lot of time um, on the phone or on emails uh, coordinating with the veterinarian on the case um, as to why we didn't get a diagnosis, what else might be going on, what other, some other options for testing, some other samples that might be needed if that problem continues in the herd or if that question is still, um, still unanswered. Yeah, so then I I'm gonna make the assumption that this is really, you know, there's the part in time where you're getting the history up front now you're communicating the results that you have and, and you're talking with the veterinarian and the producer and you're trying to figure out, okay, not only if, if we have more things that we need to, to look at to get a definitive diagnosis, 
but also what are some of the treatment or, or mitigation steps, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. So we say take a case of black leg, right? If we yeah. have a nice, nice, confident diagnosis of black leg, we can talk about vaccination protocols and, and the options for vaccination. Or were these cattle vaccinated? If they had been vaccinated, why did the vaccine fail? Uh, in, in this situation. Um, yeah, so we, we spend a lot of time, um, uh, culture and sensitivity results uh, as, as well can, can drive which antibiotics to maybe treat any other affected animals. If we detect a certain virus, we can, we can work with the producers and, and their veterinarians to uh, develop vaccination protocols um, or, or mitigation steps, um, uh, calf enteric disease, right? Uh, yeah. Depending on what, uh, what agent is the cause of the disease, it might be different. Fluids are great, but but we want to also prevent, right? Fluids are great to treat, but we also want to, if there's some things we can do to prevent disease, yep. like spreading the cattle out, um, that might be something to talk about with with the with the uh, veterinarian and and if the producers, uh, a lot of times we'll talk with the producer as well. So, one of the things that my dad always used to say in practice that it was easier to sell a vaccine for a few thousand dollars than to sell a diagnosis for a few dollars. Um, I hope that you all take home from this that there are tremendous tools and opportunities of finding, doing a necropsy, working with your veterinarian, working with the diagnostic lab to get a diagnosis. And if you were looking at an average, okay, BRD case, what, what type of range of, of cost would you be sure. uh, um, looking at? I probably, uh, in a in a standard respiratory case, um, we're probably looking at a hundred to one hundred and forty dollars somewhere so, somewhere along there. And 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 we're selling cattle for two dollars a pound. Sure. Um, you know, saving one or saving two, the the return on investment of doing actual diagnostics and working with your veterinarian at the beginning of an outbreak rather than after it's it's over is it could be could be the difference in making or breaking your. Sure. PNL that year. Sure, absolutely, and and that's that's sometimes the hard thing to see on these histories when they come in is that a large number have already died. These are the first samples that we're seeing. Um, yeah, it, it certainly would be easier to get um, get on the get on answering those questions earlier on the on in the disease process uh, rather than later. Yeah, well, thanks for all you do. Thanks for being on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you for watching Doc Talk. Remember, if you want to find us on the web, you can find us at www.doctalktv.com. Always work with your local veterinarian. And I'm Dr. Dan Thompson with Dr. Drew Magstad here at Iowa State University, and we'll see you down the road. Doc Talk is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. By integrating the comprehensive animal health product portfolio of Merck Animal Health with the innovative technologies of all-flex livestock intelligence, we are shaping the future of animal health, resulting in more effective solutions and healthier animals.